Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good to see you. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak. Uh, someone said to me this morning, where's Pastor Greg? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing to hear right before you preach. You're like, oh, okay. Pastor Greg has been on vacation uh, most of the month of August. Uh, I saw a video of him yesterday in Kelowna biking on like a train trestle. And so he's in Kelowna. He's having such a great time. Uh, and so, yeah, we just continue to have other pastors on our team, uh, our worship pastor, our youth pastor, myself, each one of us taking turns communicating this summer. Um, we are in a series all about relationships. I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope you've been taking some really good truth out of our Relational Toolbox series. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, so I mentioned uh, Pastor Rick, our worship pastor. He began our series with a message all about connection. And then I followed up second week with a message all about persevering in love and forgiveness. You might remember that message. It was called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. And then uh, Tyler, our youth pastor, was next in line. He spoke about dealing with offense quickly, not allowing barriers or a wedge to be driven between us and our most important relationships. And then I love this week, every single year, when Pastor Candace from Rochester gets to come to Morinville. She comes to the big city. It's her once a year opportunity to come. And so Candace was here from Rochester. She's used to preaching to like 45, 50 people. And so she always is like, oh man, I'm coming to Morinville. It's like the biggest thing. Uh, but she talked about care and compassion, urging us to live so that we're not inconvenienced by the interruptions that we experienced. It was the story of the Good Samaritan last Sunday. Uh, and so there's been great tools in just four weeks. Where am I going today? My message is called Building Boundaries. Building Boundaries. And if I could be honest with you, just to start off, um, what I'm bringing into the series might sound like it opposes some of the themes that we've already touched on. Uh, but you know me. You know my heart. I want you to know that uh, my heart 100% is to honor every other message that we've received. Uh, more than anything, I'm hoping that what I have to say today is going to complement and bring balance and clarity to some of the other tools in our toolbox, in our relationship toolbox. And so Rick talked about connection. Uh, Rick would agree with me that God doesn't call us to connect uh, with every person the same way. Rick is actually one of the people that taught me that. Uh, I talked about love and forgiveness. You are called to be the most loving and forgiving person. As a pastor, I try to be that way, but I also try to not put myself in positions where people can walk all over me. Do you know what I mean? Neither should you, because that's not what it means to be a loving and forgiving person. Uh, Tyler had a great analogy about a fence. He, he literally had a fence up here on the stage. A fence builds separation. Did you know, church family, that it is good for you to limit some people from having unlimited access to your life, to your yard, to your home? A fence is a barrier to relationship. We don't want it to be a barrier to all the good ones. You know, Tyler used the example of marriage. But a fence is also a boundary that protects me and my family. Candace encouraged us not to be lazy and unloving when we see people in need. God wants to use you to set them free, but God also wants you. It's going to be something I touch on today. He wants you to be led by his Holy Spirit to fill only the needs that he wants you to fill. Did you know that you're not meant to fill all of them? You actually can't. You don't even have the capacity to do that. And so I'm going to pray right now because I, all week, I've been like, God, I want to bring a word that's going to bring clarity and balance uh, to all of our relationships. Amen. 
Okay. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, I have been praying for each person uh, who would come to church this Sunday. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them specifically. God, I can share notes that I have gathered, but Holy Spirit, you can penetrate hearts. Uh, You can minister deeply to the inward parts of every person in this room. And so God, let our hearts be wide open to receive a powerful word from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I want to begin by contrasting two kinds of people. Now, I'm focusing on extremes. I know that there's a whole lot of people uh, in the middle here, but I am going to talk about two people. Uh, God wants you to be one of these people, and he doesn't want you to be the other one. I want to talk about powerful and powerless people. Powerful and powerless people. One of the biggest revelations that you should receive in your relationship with Jesus, and so that would be in prayer and in reading the Bible, uh, being plugged into a great church, is the knowledge that you are a powerful person. You are a powerful person. Now, what is that? Uh, We kind of were singing about it this morning, actually. A powerful person is someone who knows that they are loved, they are worthy, they are treasured, they are cherished, they are amazing, and they are awesome. That is a powerful person. Powerful people are brimming over with a love that comes from knowing that they were made in the image of God. You know, God, God made them, he saved them, he set them free from sin and a lesser life, and now they are free to be all that God wants them to be in their world and in their relationships. That's a powerful person. Um, grade nine was probably my worst year of school. Uh, in grade nine, I was pushed around by a kid that was a lot bigger than me. I'd been homeschooled almost my entire life, and then I went to the public system for grade nine. Um, And I actually, it took me a long time to grow. I actually didn't grow until grade 11 or 12. I was not always this big and muscular, you know? (laughs) But, But I remember in grade nine thinking that this guy that would push me around was a powerful person because he got angry. He got loud. He could bully me. He could bully other people. But then as I grew in maturity and when I took a closer look at people like that, I realized that there was a false sense of power. It was coming from a place of fear. It was coming from insecurity. And that guys like that felt that they could only get by in life by manipulating others into doing things for them. Couldn't, couldn't get it together, you know, couldn't be self-controlled, couldn't self-manage. And so there was an overcompensating that was happening by intimidating other people. I want you to know, if that's your definition, that is not a powerful person. That is not a powerful person. That is not somebody who is in control of their life. If you flip to the opposite extreme, I'm still talking about a powerless person. Someone who is powerless is also someone who is easily manipulated, moved, and pushed around by the first kind of powerless person. And so this is how, um, without getting too much into it, this is how people in our world today get themselves into really unhealthy relationships. Marriage, friendship, work relationships, and so on. It's all part of the same root. Fear, insecurity, all that junk that comes with not knowing uh, that you're loved, that you're valued by God, it'll get some people to have an over-dependency on others to try to control or manipulate them. It will get some people to be easily controlled and manipulated. 
powerless people, they walk on others because they don't have an idea of how to self-manage, then again, there is a powerless person who will be walked on because they don't know their worth, their value, their significance to God. When you comprehend that God made you significant, man, I want that to be a theme today. I want you to pick up this truth. God made you significant. He made you powerful. When you get that, you can create and maintain boundaries to keep you and your most important relationships safe, strong, and free. You're a powerful person. And so boundaries are vital. Let me give you a quick definition here. Boundaries are that which define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary gives me a sense of ownership. That is what a boundary is. A boundary comes from knowing my identity. Again, Tyler read about it. That was so on point this morning. I'm worthy. I belong to God. And now God is calling me to steward all of the treasures that he has invested into my life. Let's have some fun with this. I have some examples for you. Have you ever noticed that people don't build huge fences around junkyards? Right, a big pile of junk. People don't build fences around junkyards. That's the weirdest thing. Why don't they do that? It's because they know that what is inside is not valuable. And so thieves can go in and they can pick it apart. There's no value to that which is inside. The police could drive by, but there is no justice that could kick out those thieves because there's been no assigned value to that property. How about this? What would you think if you passed by a building and all of its doors and windows were kicked through? You know, the glass and broken wood everywhere, stuff everywhere. There was no security around that building. It was falling apart. You would rightfully assume that there is nothing of value inside that building. More than likely, it had, you know, graffiti all over it. It had been robbed and vandalized. I could go on. Let's give you some more examples. What would you think... If I were to take my wallet and I were to throw it, <laughs> Steve was trying to catch it. <laughs> There's at least a couple hundred of you in here. Some of you would think, score, Peter's money. I've heard he's okay at managing money, right? And I might deserve for you to take my wallet because I just gave you access to something that is valuable to me. That wallet's empty, Victoria. That wallet is empty. And I'm smarter than that because although I love you and I might even spend money on you, let's go for coffee, maybe for lunch, not every day, there's a boundary there for me and I will not be taken advantage of. The money I make, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of important to me. And I go to great lengths to keep it at the bank, to keep it in a vault, use passwords, and my wife's always telling me to change my passwords regularly. And then I even set limits. I set boundaries on myself. Do you know what those are called? Those are called budgets. I set boundaries on me to ensure that I'm taken care of, my wife is taken care of, my kids are taken care of, my mortgage is paid, and then I can carefully discern how God is calling me to help you. Talking about boundaries, because God is still calling me to help you sometimes a little bit. Church, listen. Boundaries are vital because they don't only assign value to your person, they assign value to your purpose. God has assigned incredible value to you personally and to your purpose. And these points are intrinsically connected. I know that I'm an awesome person. Come on, give me some love. Come on, right? Yeah. 
I know that I'm an awesome person. I know that I'm amazing. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm not trying to be self-serving and arrogant here. But I'm a powerful person. In fact, it would be wrong of me to think less than what God says about me. I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. I would be, it would be wrong to believe that I wasn't worth every drip of blood that Jesus shed for me on the cross. I was on his mind when he died for my sins. I was on his mind when he envisioned my purpose. God has made me valuable. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know that I'm valuable. Well, get in line. That's what worship and prayer and devotions and church is all about. Come on. Because before you get great at relationships with other people, you need to know that you're valuable. You need to know that you're powerful. Because when I get that, when you get that, together we can go on a journey of understanding that God has given us unique purpose, and he's given us opportunities, and he's given us gifts and talents and anointings. Wow, 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 thank you, God, for what you've invested into me. He hasn't only assigned value to your person, but your purpose is valuable. And so that tells me that there is something about you. There is something about me that is worth prioritizing. Priorities are things that need to be protected. Powerful people protect their priorities. Powerful people protect their priorities. And you know what? They don't feel bad about it. They feel really, really good about it because they know that they are uniquely gifted to accomplish the work that God has given them to do. And so I want to introduce you to two words. These two words are so critical that you understand uh, in this conversation about boundaries. Um, when it comes to protecting priorities, we are really, really good at one of the words uh, because we want to be, be nice, we want to be polite, we want to be Canadian, we're good at one of these words, but because we're afraid of what others might think of us, and we don't want them to get mad, and we don't want them to be offended, we're not always great at the second word. Can anybody guess what those words are? Hey, there's one of them. Yes. Yes and no. Yes and no. If you have the ability to say yes, or to say no, you are well on your way to understanding boundaries. Congratulations. If you can do that with confidence. I'm going to confuse you a little bit right now. Did you know that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else? Peter, that's just weird. You're confusing me. This is tough. What's difficult for us in relationships is the reality that we only have so many yeses. I have a reserved amount of yeses in my life. I cannot say yes to everyone. And so it's right that you and I protect our priorities, we guard our yes, we guard our mission, and we stay true to what God is calling us to do. This took me a long time to figure out. This is another one of those messages that's coming from, yeah, still learning that, <laughs> Pastor Peter. Um, because honestly, it just feels really unchristian to say no to people, doesn't it? And some people will actually make you feel that way. I mean, we're supposed, aren't you supposed to help people? You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to take care of them. You're supposed to shoulder their burdens. Isn't that what the Bible says? Aren't you a good Christian? How dare you say no to me? And yes, that's true, but there's balance. There is wisdom and discernment and boundaries in every relationship. Because if you don't learn how to say no, you will not be able to say yes. If you can't say no to some things, you will not be able to say yes to the right things. And God wants you to say yes to the right things. And so let's move into some biblical framework. I'm going to give you two stories uh, from Jesus' ministry. Did you know that Jesus set boundaries? 
He was powerful in setting boundaries. There's a statement that he makes, and he says, my satisfaction, my bread, is only to do that which I see my Father in heaven doing. There is a whole lot of yes in that scripture, and there's actually a whole lot of no. When Jesus received the yes of heaven, he responded, he acted on that. His value, his power was based in sonship. Uh, If you remember early on in his ministry when he was baptized, uh, the father said, this is my dearly beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was so powerful in his identity and from that place, Jesus lived out his purpose. There were times where Jesus would go into villages. I was thinking about Luke chapter 4 this week. uh, And it says that they would bring all the sick people from the village to Jesus. And it seems like it's strongly implied that he healed all of them. It says he went around and he placed his hands on each of them and they were healed. That's in Luke chapter 4. But then, and this might throw some of you for a loop, there were times where Jesus walked right past needs. And in doing so, you know when you're walking past needs, it's as though you're saying no. Just a few chapters later in Luke 8, it says Jesus entered a community and an entire crowd was waiting there for him. And so people would catch wind that Jesus was coming to town and they would gather thousands and thousands of people. And we can imagine that as he came, they would be screaming, you know, Jesus, 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 because they were desperate. I need help. But in this particular story, almost as though Jesus wanted you to learn something and me to learn something, he chooses one guy. Jesus chooses one family. Moving to verse 40, Luke chapter 8, it says, When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Do you have expectations in your life? People who expect things of you, they were all expecting him. A man named Jairus A synagogue leader came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Story goes on and Jesus goes to Jairus' house. Verse 42 stood out to me. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. I mean, parenting feels like this sometimes, right? The (laughs) crowd almost crushed But this is just one story, but we need to ask ourselves, how often did Jesus walk past needs? If it were me, I'm going to do this a couple times in this message. If I were Jesus, I wouldn't have gotten out of my hometown. I wouldn't have left Nazareth because of all the needs in that community alone. Jesus didn't build a church. If if Pastor Peter were Jesus, I would, let's start a building campaign right now. And I would just stay there, never mind the rest of the world. Um, Every now and then when I'm preparing messages, you know, I have to go downstairs and refill the coffee. And sometimes I'll walk around and clear my head. And I walked into Kate's office and uh, Kate looks up from her computer and says, what are you preaching on this week, Peter? And I said, I'm talking about boundaries. And she goes, (laughs) What am I supposed to think? (laughs) And so I looked at her and said, Kate, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm not good at boundaries? And she said, Peter, that's just really funny because you're always available for people. You're always available. And you know, Kate's not wrong. As much as Pastor Peter tries very hard to be available for people, that is one of my greatest weaknesses. It is. I'm just going to own that. I can feel my wife nodding. She's like, yes, Peter. But Jesus had a personal worth and a divine purpose that persuaded him to only fill the needs that God led him to meet. And because his no was strong, his yes was even stronger. 
And so Jesus accomplished exactly what he set out to do. I was just thinking about that and praising God. He went to every town he intended to. He talked to every person that he was led to. He performed every miracle that he was supposed to. And in doing so, you don't read about the Son of God staying in Nazareth, staying in his hometown, overwhelmed by the needs of many. But you read about a Savior that successfully completed the work. You know that's in John chapter 17? Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. Hallelujah. And so what's the lesson here? This might actually be a picture of your life right now. Other people's needs will cry for your attention, especially if you are really good at taking care of needs and if you're in the habit of doing everything for everyone else. I used to think that was a good thing. It's not. It's not a good thing. Some of you are going to break that habit today. There will be people who will beg and plead and grovel for your attention. But remember, in some cases, not in all of them, a lot of needs are legitimate. People have legitimate needs. But in some cases, those are symptoms of a powerless person. It's not that everyone in the crowd that day wasn't important to Jesus, but in that moment, they weren't his priority. We have a really hard time with not always being people's priorities. I just feel like I should be your priority all the time. But I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you are not called to meet everyone's needs every time, everywhere. You're not called to give an answer, to provide a solution, to jump in and to save the day. I mean, who do you think you are? You're not the omniscient, omnipresent spirit of God, are you? You're not. There will be times where it's okay for you to say no. I'm drawing a line. And you should especially say no to somebody who is using a false sense of power to get you to move. Because powerless people use things like guilt, manipulation, control to get what they want. Um, Sometimes things from Facebook make their way into our messages. Chantel was on Facebook this week, and, and she read this post, and I thought, wow, that's my message this Sunday. And it was almost like a little cartoon, and it was a father walking with his son, and the little boy looks up at his dad and says, hey, dad, how do I get people to do what I want in life? And the dad says, well, son, all you've got to say is I'm offended, and people will do what you want. Isn't that sad? That is so sad. But that is the mantra of our generation. Well, I'm offended. You need to do what I want. But it actually shows how weak and powerless and confused people are. But I say that to say, church family, that's not you. You are a powerful person. You have a purpose. God is calling you to prioritize your purpose. And so you meet the needs that God is calling you to meet. Jesus did that every day. I want to check out another Bible story. Uh, what did we learn from the first one? We learned that Jesus owned his decisions. He protected his priorities. He chose one family in that story. Do you know what else Jesus did? This is kind of another angle at boundaries. Jesus never assumed responsibility for the decisions of other people. Part of setting boundaries has to do with allowing other people to own their decisions. It's not up to you to rescue them. It's not up to you to make them feel better. Boundaries help us understand our responsibilities and they help us hold other people responsible. There is a line where your life ends and someone else's life begins. They are responsible for their stuff. Uh, Mark chapter 10, we find the story of the rich young ruler. And I'm going to read it for you. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. 
Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, not give false testimony, not defraud, honor your father and mother. This guy was really pleased. He said, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. This part's really special. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. So he gives him a responsibility. This is what I'm seeing in your life. This is what you need to do. And then come and follow me. But listen to the man's response. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What did Jesus do? Jesus looked around and he turned to his disciples and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom? Wow. And so what we're getting from this story is that the rich young ruler really wants to be one of Jesus' disciples. And it would seem that this is a good working relationship because Jesus looked at him and loved him. This could be a good fit. But then Jesus discerned something. Jesus was the most discerning person in relationship. And what he was seeing was that money was an idol for this young man. It was an issue of his heart. Some of you are saying, is it bad for me to have money? It's not wrong for you to have money, but if money has you, then there's a problem. That's going to get in the way of your discipleship. But Jesus says, let's give you a responsibility. Go and sell your stuff and then come follow me. And at this, it says the man was devastated. It says his face fell. What does that even look like? Did he go away and cry? He probably did. And then all that Jesus does is he turns to his disciples and he says, wow, it's sure hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Let's have another moment. If Pastor Peter were Jesus, we should just praise the Lord that Pastor Peter is not Jesus. (laughs) You would all be in big trouble. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? But if I were Jesus, my thought process would have been, hey, he's got money. We could use some money. Judas is all out of money. We could, he's, he's obedient to the law, could be a care group leader, maybe. Or maybe I would have said, oh, we don't want to disappoint him. We don't want him to get offended. Can't let anyone get offended. How about we just ask him to give half of his money? We'll just ask him to give half of his money to the poor. There's still a lot of money. I mean, he's not healthy. Money has a vice grip on his heart. (laughs) It's not good, but we don't want to lose him. We don't want to, guys, can we keep him? But Jesus doesn't do that. It doesn't say that Jesus chased him down the road saying, hey, don't be sad. That would be Pastor Peter. Because I feel real messed up when you go away sad from my office. I'll chase you out the door and say, I just want you to feel better. I know I challenged you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I challenged you. I was kidding. (laughs) But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't compromise. Jesus was like, if you're not willing to let go of that lifestyle, then you're not going to be one of my disciples. I'm sorry. You can go away sad. Okay, go. You can go. You can own the consequences of that decision because you have made a decision that you're going to hang on to this. You can't have it both ways. Let me ask you a question, church family. How often do we set standards only to change them when they don't work for other people? My kid got really, really whiny. Okay, take this. Just don't cry. I wouldn't want you to go away sad. My adult kids spent all their money. Take some of mine. 
The list goes on. You bought stuff you couldn't afford. You got into trouble with the wrong crowd. You made terrible friends. You hooked up with the wrong person, and now you're regretting it. You did drugs. I'm sorry, you can't be a leader in the youth group. We won't let that happen. But I don't read about a, like a Bible that says God will rescue you. God will make allowances for you when you make choices that break his heart. There's grace. We serve a gracious, loving God. But I don't believe that God enables second best. God doesn't enable us to make decisions that break his heart. And so what does it mean to own our standards, to own our responsibilities, and then to live in such a way that I'm going to help you own your stuff too? I'm going to help you own your choices. Um, so this is a message where I'm making a lot of clarifications. To clarify, it's not to say that we don't help people get to where they need to be. And some people, that's, that's unloving when you don't help people get to where they need to be. But remember, I started my message by talking about powerful people. Powerful people are not motivated by the emotional responses or the expectations of others. They discern their responsibilities, and then love is what persuades them to help other people. Let's talk about love. Church, love doesn't redefine standards. Our world's trying to tell us that. Love does not redefine standards. It doesn't say, because I love you, I'm not going to challenge you. Because I love you, I'm not going to hold you accountable for your decisions. That is not powerful love. Let's just do away with that right now. That's a, that's a powerless love. Our world defines love that way. Love carries those who need to be carried, but then there reaches a point with love, the love of God, where love says, hey, you, get up and walk and own your responsibilities. Take some responsibility for yourself. But there's a process to that. And I want to tell you that love is always discerning the process. Did you know that there are times where you need to carry a powerless person? I've been really hard on those kinds of people this morning. But there are times where God says, pick them up. They can't walk, at least for a while. You know, parenting is a good example of that. It's the best example of that. A parent-child relationship represents the purest form of love. When my son is born next month, he's born a little over a month from now, that boy will become the most demanding relationship in my house. He'll have emotional responses. He'll have expectations. I'm amazed that Chantel agreed to have another one because for the longest time, that little boy, our fourth child, will do absolutely nothing in the relationship for me. He won't manage his poop. He'll get us to do that. He'll take our sleep. He'll take our food. He'll take our money. But Chantelle and I will love our son. We will love him the same way that we already love our daughters. A parent-child relationship is the deepest form of covenant relationship, a love relationship. There is nobody that you would give your life for faster than for your child. Parents, amen? Amen. It makes no sense that you would love that much except for love. But let's, I just said that love discerns the process. Love discerns the process. Because I have boundaries, there's going to be a process. I am not going to do everything for that boy forever. I am not going to carry him forever. My back will get sore. My back's already sore. I've carried three others. He's going to walk. He's going to run. He's going to go to school. And dad's not doing his homework. That's mom's job. <laughs> but then one day, that boy will get married, and he'll get a job, and he'll raise kids, and he'll do all these things. God help me. I will do everything for my son right now, but I'm not going to do everything for him forever. It's not happening. 
and I won't bend my standards. I won't tell him that right is wrong and wrong is right. He is going to learn to be powerful. And he's going to learn, boy, you have a purpose. You have a purpose, a good one. And I will have done my job if I help him make decisions and to own those decisions. And for those of you who are parents and have raised kids, do you know, do you know that he's going to have to own some consequences? Oh, that's so hard for me because I want to rescue him, but he's going to have to own some consequences. Hallelujah. So I want to take a moment to summarize right now. Um, what have I said so far in this message? I started by saying that God has assigned value to your person and to your purpose. And because of that, you've got to protect your priorities. You've got to let your yes be yes and your no be no. You need to set up boundaries so that you can do the things that God is calling you to do. How many of you know that there is huge competition for your yes? Huge competition for your yes. Everybody wants a piece of that. Everybody's crowding in on that. They're crushing against your yes. But they're just going to keep coming at you with needs and expectations. Some of them, not all of them, there's a whole lot of legitimate needs as well, but some of them will use emotions to get what they want. They'll get angry. They'll go away sad. They'll guilt you. They'll manipulate you. But you're a powerful person. You are purpose-driven, and you are motivated by love. I want you to hear me. People with boundaries, it's not that they don't do anything. People with boundaries, they discern the process, and they, because they love people, they help people get to where they need to be. You're not crushed by the emotions of others because you're not dependent on others' emotions. You're dependent on God. You are loved, and it's your job to discern how, when, and who God is calling you to help. That's my message in a nutshell. You can go home. Don't quite go yet. But I want to quickly show you some of the things that you need to build boundaries around. Let's get really practical in our last few minutes. The priorities that are worth protecting, this comes from a guy named Danny Silk. A lot of my thoughts today have come from Danny Silk. Uh, but Danny Silk talks about protecting your time, your energy, your resources, and your relationships. Let's just, let's talk about boundaries. Time, energy, resources, relationships. If you can own and manage these things, man, you are awesome. You are powerful and you are on purpose. And so what you spend your time on, working, television, social media, those things are up to you. You are going to have to give an account one day for the way that you spent your time. Don't be one of those people that blame all of their time issues on everyone else. Oh, well, everybody just makes me so busy. No, that's not the way it works. You say yes and you say no. How about energy, the food that you eat, your exercise, your sleep habits? You know what? Not my problem. I'll pray for you. I love you. I will encourage you. But the responsibilities for things like sleep and exercise and food, and that's your responsibility. Resources, your house, your possessions, your money, they're yours. I have mine to manage. And I'm not always going to give you what's mine. I might give you advice or enough to get by for a little while. But let's help people manage their stuff. They have to place boundaries around those things. And then there's your relationships. This is the big one because it's actually the point of our series. There are so many needs. There's so much coming at you. There's pressure crowding in on your priorities. But relationships are yours to govern. What does that look like in your life? I hope this is true for you as it is true for me. But God comes first. God comes first. I will put 
boundaries, I will protect the priority of God coming first in my life. My beliefs, my values, I'll, by protecting those things, I will be doing the best for every other relationship in my life. And so I will worship. I will show up for church. I will pray. I will be there for my God because that is actually the number one relationship that you need to guard. You need to prioritize that. Everything else is trying to get in on that. Build a boundary around your relationship with God. Uh, next up, I would say my wife. She's pretty important. She really is. I always tell Chantel, Chantel, you're my number one woman. And she goes, Peter, I'm your only woman. And I go, that's right. <laughs> Priority. You know, I wouldn't just let anyone drive my car. I wouldn't let a random guy that said, hey, I need a car. Sorry. Uh, I've let Pastor Greg drive my car. I mean, I don't want to get fired, right? <laughs> hold on, hold on, that's fear. Because I love Pastor Greg, I let him borrow my car. But when Chantel Vischer needs a car, there will be fuel in the tank, it will be clean, and the air conditioning will be on because she's pregnant and she's got to stay cool. Because she's number one. <laughs> If there's competition between a crowd and my wife, oh man, I will choose my wife every single time. She comes ahead of people. How about my kids? Five years ago, I bought a home. It didn't have a fence. I built a fence around my yard because church, my kids stay in my yard. They're my responsibility. And I built a fence to keep anyone else out who tries to hurt my kids, a dog that gets off its leash. It doesn't have permission to come in my yard. So my kids are really important. Um, how about you? How about my church family? You are so important to me. My wife knows that. My kids know that. You are so important to me. I'll have you over to my house. We'll have a barbecue, but then you get to go home. <laughs> and I promise to work hard for you, you know, two to three nights a week. I'll plan events, but there's a boundary there. And my wife reminds me of that boundary often. And so God, my wife, my kids, my church, how about just my community? We had a great block party yesterday with Donna and Darcy. You know, the, the community knows that we're a church that meets needs. Um, but I had somebody call me while I was preparing this message. You, you won't know this, but as pastors, we get baptized in our message before we have the opportunity to preach it. And this rough voice on the other end of the line called me as I was writing and says, Hey, I hear you're the church that gives money. And I went, did you now? Is that what you heard? <laughs> right? We're going to talk to them. But I lovingly explained the boundaries. I wasn't mean to that guy. I was actually really, really nice to him. I said, listen, what's your name again? Okay. Yeah, we've given money before, but sorry, we won't pay your rent. We won't give you cash. Uh, we'll give you meals. We'll give you uh, some soup. We stock it here at the office, but there's a limit to what we can do for you. You know, we sometimes do more for people who are part of our church family. Do you go to the Father's house? No, I've never even heard of the Father's house. There's a priority that is on relationship. We care for our family. I would love it if you came and became a part of the Father's house church family. We meet every Sunday at 1030 at the Cultural Center. Why don't you come? And uh, I can even prepare a bag of food if you show up. And so we have those conversations often, and very often people say, yeah, well, I'm offended. And we say, okay, <laughs> right? But we've had some great opportunities to help and to bless people from our community. And so I hope you learned something today. I hope you took something from this message. That is just a glimpse of what boundaries are all about, and God is calling you to build good ones. And so maybe I'll have Victoria come. We're going to wind down in prayer right now.
But church, I believe that the world is longing to see you and I powerful, longing to see a church that is on purpose. In the book of Romans, it says that all creation is groaning. They are longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. The world needs healthy and strong people. The world needs to come into a house like this, and they need to come into a system that is good, that is well-established, that is well-built, and people are thriving in the midst of those systems. People who are powerless, broken, and in need should be able to come into the church and they should see people that have boundaries. They're invited into those boundaries. And so let's maintain them. Let's show others how to do the same. And so I'm gonna pray and I just, I just want you to respond. So why don't we all just stand up right now? Can you just stand up? Hallelujah. And so even to this message, I just want there to be a resounding yes in your heart. You might have some homework to do in your relationships. I was thinking about a passage in Isaiah, and there's this passage in Isaiah that talks about a pagan king. He's the king of Assyria, and he comes into God's land, he comes into God's house, and the text describes him bragging. And word for word, what he says is, I have removed the boundaries, and I have plundered the treasures. And even as I read that, I said, Lord, may that not be said about the Father's house. I have removed their boundaries and I have plundered their treasures. And so like a prayer burning in my soul this morning, I wanna say, may that not be us. May we not be too weak and unstable to stand for what's important, to prioritize what matters. You are powerful, you are valuable, you are significant, you are awesome, you have such a great purpose. And God has given you families and he's given you friends and all these relationships to manage. May you manage them well. Amen. And so I don't know what you need this morning, but if you need wisdom, come on, if you need discernment, if you just need courage because you're afraid to set boundaries in your relationship, let me pray for courage for you. Let me pray for power for you. But if there's any part of this message where you're saying yes, 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 I need that. Would you just raise your hands right now? Let me pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God, that we would be a people who are loving, brimming over with your love, brimming over with your power. God, that even in those moments this week, this month, where we need to say no, or we need to sit down with somebody and have a conversation and say, listen, I can't take care of you anymore. This is what I feel is the right thing to do. God, I pray that your people would just overflow with wisdom and revelation, God, knowing how valuable they are. And God, from that place, help them to help other people while discerning the process, not to enable them, not to coddle them. God, not to put some people way ahead of their wives or way ahead of their kids or, or maybe work way ahead of God. God, help us to be rightly ordered. I just pray for that power in this congregation that we would be rightly ordered. God, that we would put you first, that we would put our marriages first, that we would put our kids first, God, that things that get in the way like social media or maybe an over emphasis on work. God, help us to have wisdom in relationships. In Jesus' name, I bless the house of God. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap. Come on.